Section 12 of Three Essays on Religion. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Three Essays on Religion by John Stuart Mill. The Argument from Marks of Design in Nature. We now at last reach an argument of a really scientific character which does not shrink from scientific tests but claims to be judged by the established canons of induction the design argument is wholly grounded on experience certain qualities it is alleged are found to be characteristic of such things as are made by an intelligent mind for a purpose the order of nature or some considerable parts of it exhibit these qualities in a remarkable degree we are entitled from this great similarity in the effects to infer similarity in the cause and to believe that things which it is beyond the power of man to make but which resemble the works of man in all but power must have been made by intelligence armed with a power greater than human i have stated this argument in its fullest strength as it is stated by the most thoroughgoing asserters a very little consideration however suffices to show that though it has some force its force is very generally overrated paley's illustration of a watch puts the case much too strongly if i found a watch on an apparently desolate island i should indeed infer that it had been left there by a human being but the inference would not be from marks of design but because i already know by direct experience that watches are made by men i should draw the inference no less confidently from a footprint or from any relic however insignificant which experience has taught me to attribute to man as geologists infer the past existence of animals from coprolites though no one sees marks of design in a coprolite the evidence of design in creation can never reach the height of direct induction it amounts only to the inferior kind of inductive evidence called analogy analogy agrees with induction in this that they both argue that a thing known to resemble another in certain circumstances call those circumstances a and b will resemble it in another circumstance call it c but the difference is that in induction a and b are known by a previous comparison of many instances to be the very circumstance on which c depends or with which it is in some way connected when this has not been ascertained the argument amounts only to this that since it is not known with which of the circumstances existing in the known case c is connected they may as well be a and b as any others and therefore there is a greater probability of c in cases where we know that a and b exist than in cases of which we know nothing at all this argument is of a weight very difficult to estimate at all and impossible to estimate precisely it may be very strong when the known points of agreement a and b etc are numerous 
and the known points of difference few, or very weak, when the reverse is the case. But it can never be equal in validity to a real induction. The resemblances between some of the arrangements in nature and some of those made by man are considerable, and even as mere resemblances afford a certain presumption of similarity of cause. But how great that presumption is, it is hard to say. All that can be said with certainty is that these likenesses make creation by intelligence considerably more probable than if the likenesses had been less, or than if there had been no likenesses at all. This mode, however, of stating the case, does not do full justice to the evidence of theism. The design argument is not drawn from mere resemblances in nature to the works of human intelligence, but from the special character of those resemblances. The circumstances in which it is alleged that the world resembles the works of man are not circumstances taken at random, but are particular instances of a circumstance which experience shows to have a real connection with an intelligent origin, the fact of conspiring to an end. The argument, therefore, is not one of mere analogy. As mere analogy, it has its weight, but it is more than analogy. It surpasses analogy exactly as induction surpasses it. It is an inductive argument. This, I think, is undeniable and it remains to test the argument by the logical principles applicable to induction. For this purpose, it will be convenient to handle, not the argument as a whole, but some one of the most impressive cases of it, such as the structure of the eye or of the ear. It is maintained that the structure of the eye proves a designing mind. To what class of inductive arguments does this belong? and what is its degree of force? The species of inductive arguments are four in number, corresponding to the four inductive methods, the methods of agreement, of difference, of residues, and of concomitant variations. The argument under consideration falls within the first of these divisions, the method of agreement. This is, for reasons known to inductive logicians, the weakest of the four, but the particular argument is a strong one of the kind. It may be logically analyzed as follows. The parts of which the eye is composed, and the collocations which constitute the arrangement of those parts, resemble one another in this very remarkable property, that they all conduce to enabling the animal to see. These things being as they are, the animal sees. If any one of them were different from what it is, the animal, for the most part, would either not see, or would not see equally well. And this is the only marked resemblance that we can trace among the different parts of this structure, beyond the general likeness of composition and organization which exists among all other parts of the animal. Now, the particular combination of organic elements, called an eye, had, in every instance, a beginning in time, and must therefore have been brought together by a cause or causes. The number of instances is immeasurably greater than is, by the principles of inductive logic, 
required for the inclusion of a random concurrence of independent causes, or, speaking technically, for the elimination of chance. We are therefore warranted by the canons of induction in concluding that what brought all these elements together was some cause common to them all, and inasmuch as the elements agree in the single circumstance of conspiring to produce sight, there must be some connection by way of causation between the cause which brought those elements together and the fact of sight. This I conceive to be a legitimate inductive inference, and the sum and substance of what induction can do for theism. The natural sequel of the argument would be this sight being a fact not precedent but subsequent to the putting together of the organic structure of the eye can only be connected with the production of that structure in the character of a final not an efficient cause that is it is not sight itself but an antecedent idea of it that must be the efficient cause but this at once marks the origin as proceeding from an intelligent will. I regret to say, however, that this latter half of the argument is not so inexpungible as the former half. Creative forethought is not absolutely the only link by which the origin of the wonderful mechanism of the eye may be connected with the fact of sight there is another connecting link on which attention has been greatly fixed by recent speculations and the reality of which cannot be called in question though its adequacy to account for such truly admirable combinations as some of those in nature is still and will probably long remain problematical this is the principle of the survival of the fittest this principle does not pretend to account for the commencement of sensation or of animal or vegetable life but assuming the existence of some one or more very low forms of organic life in which there are no complex adaptations nor any marked appearances of contrivance and supposing as experience warrants us in doing that many small variations from those simple types would be thrown out in all directions which would be transmittable by inheritance and of which some would be advantageous to the creature in its struggle for existence and others disadvantageous the forms which are advantageous would always tend to survive and those which are disadvantageous to perish and thus there would be a constant though slow general improvement of the type as it branched out into many different varieties, adapting it to different media and modes of existence, until it might possibly, in countless ages, attain to the most advanced examples which now exist. It must be acknowledged that there is something very startling and prima facie improbable in this hypothetical history of nature. It would require us, for example, to suppose that the prime evil animal of whatever nature it may have been could not see and had at most such slight preparation for seeing as might be constituted by some chemical action of light upon its cellular structure one of the accidental variations which are liable to take place in all organic beings would at some time or other produce a variety that could see 
in some imperfect manner and this peculiarity being transmitted by inheritance while other variations continued to take place in other directions a number of races would be produced who by the power of even imperfect sight would have a great advantage over all other creatures which could not see and would in time extirpate them from all places except perhaps a very few peculiar situations underground fresh variations supervening would give rise to races with better and better seeing powers until we might at last reach as extraordinary a combination of structures and functions as are seen in the eye of man and of the more important animals of this theory when pushed to this extreme point all that can now be said is that it is not so absurd as it looks and that the analogies which have been discovered in experience favourable to its possibility far exceed what any one could have supposed beforehand whether it will ever be possible to say more than this is at present uncertain the theory if admitted would be in no way whatever inconsistent with creation but it must be acknowledged that it would greatly attenuate the evidence for it leaving this remarkable speculation to whatever fate the progress of discovery may have in store for it i think it must be allowed that in the present state of our knowledge the adaptations in nature afford a large balance of probability in favour of creation by intelligence it is equally certain that this is no more than a probability and that the various other arguments of natural theology which we have considered add nothing to its force whatever ground there is revelation apart to believe in an author of nature is derived from the appearances in the universe their mere resemblance to the works of man or to what man could do if he had the same power over the materials of organized bodies which he has over the materials of a watch is of some value as an argument of analogy but the argument is greatly strengthened by the properly inductive considerations which establish that there is some connection through causation between the origin of the arrangements of nature and the ends they fulfil an argument which is in many cases slight but in others and chiefly in the nice and intricate combinations of vegetable and animal life is of considerable strength. End of section 12